Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. There's always something new being created. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with John Kenyon, Executive Director of the Iowa City UNESCO City of Literature Organization. John grew up in Des Moines and graduated from the University of Iowa and lives in Iowa City. I enjoyed being able to talk with John about Iowa City's role as a city of literature, the organization's approach to programming, and as a nonprofit, how to manage resources effectively, as well as the many facets of this literary community. John talks about his journey in exploring journalism that led him to the University of Iowa and how that industry has changed over the past few decades. As a student, John worked at the DI, the Daily Iowan. Shortly after recording this interview, the Society of Professional Journalists named the Daily Iowan the best all-around daily student newspaper in the country. John and I also cover the role of collaboration in building resilient communities. And from the City of Literature website, how could a small city in the center of the American heartland have such a wide-ranging impact on creative writing? The answer is that Iowa City, for its size, may be the most literary city on earth. It has a unique set of influential literary institutions which explore new ways to teach and support writers. At the same time, it has long been, quite simply, a place for writers. A haven, a destination, a proving ground, and a nursery. Thanks for checking out the Iowa Idea Podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the Iowa Idea Podcast, and as we start every episode, the uh, the intro that I steal from Terry Gross. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> well, uh, I guess right now I am the director of the Iowa City UNESCO City of Literature organization. I've been in that job, uh, according to Facebook memories, for uh, eight years this week. So um, that's a uh, time that has really flown by. Uh, before that, I was in journalism for about 20 years. I'm a Des Moines native and uh, came to the University of Iowa. And like a lot of folks, I fell in love with Iowa City and decided to never leave. And so I I worked in local uh, print journalism for quite a while and uh, made the leap into uh, nonprofit management, as I said, a few years ago. Right on. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, and congratulations on your anniversary. Because you were you were part of the original group, is that right? That uh, worked with you know, Iowa's designation as a city of literature. Well, I came in kind of right after the initial group. The um, the city pursued getting this designation uh, back in the uh, mid two thousands. Uh, UNESCO had created this program called the Creative Cities Network, and they launched it in two thousand four. Uh, and the the idea was to give um, cities that were exemplary in a number of different disciplines. There are seven different disciplines, so literature is just one of those. But to give them a designation and then to create a network of these cities that are so designated uh, with the idea that bringing together so many creative communities and, and the creative people in them could uh, only help 
the world, you know, to, to bring creative people together, you're going to find solutions uh, that might not otherwise be uh, found. And so um, they did that. Some folks in Iowa City, uh, particularly uh, at the International Writing Program at the university, kind of first got wind of this and, and what the criteria were and realized that Iowa City uh, and our assets lined up very favorably with that and pursued that. Uh, we got the designation in uh, November of 2008. It was really then that I got involved. I knew a lot of the people who had been involved with trying to uh, secure the designation and, and let one and all know that I was interested in being a part of that in, in whatever way made sense. And as the uh, organization formed a, a board of directors, that's where I first got involved as a member of that group. And uh, we hired our first director. Uh, about 18 months later, and uh, she was with us for a couple of years and did a great job you know, getting all of those necessary things set up and, and then had moved on. And it felt like something that I wanted to be more a part of, not just as a, a board member that might have to roll off at a certain point and, and leave it to others, but to really get integrally involved in what we were doing. And, and, uh, the rest of the board was uh, very gracious in giving me the opportunity to try that. And here we are eight years later. And what, what do you see your key role as, as the director? Well, um, I don't know if I could say just one key. I mean, if I had to try to narrow it down, I guess I would say that it's, it's really about making sure that people in the community and that term can go for, you know, people just living in Iowa City all the way out to the world, really, but in, in various communities know about what we have here in terms of cultural assets, in, in terms of our literary culture, and that they know how to, to plug in and get engaged. They know how to take advantage of that and, and get out of it what they can, and that the people who are involved in that have the resources to be able to then uh, reach out to those different communities and, and get them involved. What's been your, your biggest challenge? Well, uh, I think for most nonprofit directors, they would agree, you know, funding is usually a big right. challenge. Um, there is never a shortage of ideas, uh, you know, our own, uh, myself and, and my staff or from the community. And certainly you have time, but it's those resources. It's, you know, the ability to try to make those things happen. We, like a lot of nonprofits are able to do an awful lot with uh, at times limited funding. And uh, that's probably the, the biggest challenge you know, right behind it is simply that awareness. There's so much competition for people's time and, and their attention and, you know, trying to make people aware of what the, uh, those resources are, what those opportunities are, and uh, and share them when there's so much else competing for people's time can sometimes be a challenge as well. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, some of the more public facing, like the awareness and and you know what's coming to my mind is some of the festival work that mm -hmm. that you do. Do you do you mind telling me a little bit about those and how those came about? Sure. Well, you know, for us, as I said, a big part of what we feel we should be doing is letting people in the community know what we have here. And so uh, festivals and events are really the easiest way 
to go about doing that. Uh, they're certainly not without a lot of work, but in terms of, you know, the bang for your buck, it's uh, a good way to do that. And so, you know, our biggest uh, event that we have every year is the Iowa City Book Festival. We hold that every October. Um, virus willing, we will do so again uh, this October. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's an opportunity for us to showcase for the community and for people who drive in from a considerable distance to experience this with us, uh, you know, those people in our literary culture who are doing great things, the authors, the publishers, the editors, translators, the poets, uh, booksellers, librarians, all those folks who do so much to make our literary culture so wonderful. uh, It's our time to shine a light on them. Uh, Another aspect of that is we try to bring back as many writers who have come through Iowa City uh, in some capacity uh, for them to come back and and share their work. You know, we always have uh, graduates of the writing programs at the university come back and, and share their work. Uh, that's not a very hard sell for us when we invite those folks. Many of them are, you know, chomping at the bit to come back and and share what they've done with the community where they still have ties. Um, and so it's a, a great way for us to bring all of that together and show Iowa City. It's like, here's, here's why we're a city of literature. Here's why so many people have so much respect for our community when it comes to literature. Uh, we have other festivals that we do throughout the year. We have our uh, Music I See Festival, which is a celebration of chamber music and literature. Again, trying to show people different ways that uh, they can think about literature and the ways it impacts uh, the culture at large. We have our One Book, Two Book uh, Festival, which is a children's literature festival that we have each winter. And again, is celebrating the writing of the young people in our community, wanting to kind of keep that pipeline open so that uh, we're celebrating today's authors and, and tomorrow's authors as well. Um, those are our, our biggest events that we have. And then we do another uh, few smaller events throughout the course of the year as well. Thanks. And as an Iowa City resident, yeah, thanks to you and, and your team, everybody that pulls that off, because I, I know those are those are, are, are fun for us to go to, especially as our kids were younger too. Uh, uh, the, the one book, two book festival was, was always entertaining for them. Want to back up a little bit and uh, talk to you about, so you said you grew up in Des Moines and then uh, came to Iowa City through the University of Iowa. What was it about the university that attracted you? Well, uh, for me, it was a journalism program. Uh, I was someone who, I think it was probably fifth grade. I had a teacher tell me that I should think about being a newspaper reporter because of the skills that I was bringing to things. And, you know, you think about all kinds of different professions when you're a kid, but that was the one that stuck. And so, you know, from the time I was 10, 11, 12 years old, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, the best journalism program in the state was here at uh, the university at the Daily Iowan, which was and remains one of the best college newspapers in the country. And so I uh, I came here. So it was writing that pulled me to Iowa City, but it isn't the kind of writing that a lot of folks think about when they think of the, the writing community in Iowa City. But it was uh, the thing that uh, hooked me and brought me here and has kept me here. Yeah, and the journalism uh, program, I mean, it's interesting. When you came, you you were at, 
I'm or making an assumption here. Did you start at the DI right away at the Daily Iowan? Not right away. Um, I it, it was pretty early. I actually had uh, made a, a friend in Des Moines who was a few years older who had come up here uh, going to graduate school actually in the the I don't think he was in journalism, but I met some folks through him who were working at the Daily Iowan, and I was interested in doing arts writing at that time. And so I got on and was writing uh, record reviews at the time, and I'm old enough that those were indeed record reviews, <laughs> um, and uh, just kind of worked my way in through there. I think I was uh, probably... A, late freshman year, early sophomore year before I actually started working as a reporter and then just worked my way up from there. And, and something you did throughout your undergraduate career? I did. Yeah. I worked at the Daily Iowa you know, from the time I started until, uh, you know, the day I graduated and then even beyond, uh, I was there. I was the editor of the paper my senior year. And then, uh, because of the time commitment for that, I took an extra semester, uh, to get, finish up my studies and, and graduate after that. And, and even then I was uh, working elsewhere in journalism in the community, but still kind of hanging around and doing the occasional thing at the DI. When you mentioned to when record review, when it was really a record being reviewed, <laughs> uh, also the time that you, you were coming out of journalism, it was right, kind of right before a big, big change in, in media industry as a whole, right before the internet really and World Wide web kind of took off. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I mean, I can still remember the, I took a job. I was in Ottumwa for one year. I worked at the Courier newspaper there after I graduated, uh, before I came back up and got a job at the Gazette. And it was while I was in the newsroom, uh, in Ottumwa where we first heard about this thing. I don't, I'm trying to think of which one it was. It wasn't America online, but it was another one of those type of, of, uh, services, you know, because there wasn't the means, there weren't browsers yet. So there wasn't right. the means to actually just get onto the internet. You had to, had to have some sort of a mediated service like America online. But, you know, we heard about this thing and no one was quite sure how to use it or what we would get out of it. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, at least two, three, maybe even four years later that the internet became any sort of a tool that we used from a reporting standpoint. It was still going and meeting people and talking to them on the phone and all of those in-person type things that journalists don't do as much anymore. Can you, so thinking back to, to your time at Daily Iowan or uh, even uh, just as an early journalist after you left, you know, what was, what was your favorite part of journalism? Um, I guess my favorite part was the writing. Um, I will readily admit that I was an average reporter, but I thought I was a good writer. I guess I still think that. Um, it, that it was the, once I took everything that I had gathered up and sat down and, and crafted the story, I mean, that was the part that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, being able to take disparate elements and, and turn it into a narrative that could pull the reader through what you were trying to teach them, essentially. Uh, that was always the most rewarding part of that for me. And who were your influences? You know, I, 
that's a, a good question. I guess I don't think I have a good answer for. I read so many people. I, I guess I can't really name names at this point, but I do know that, uh, you know, I would grab the, the New York Times or the Chicago Tribune or even back when it was uh, a great paper, the Des Moines Register. You know, I, I still think at that point it really was something where they're, and, you know, they're obviously great writers at the Register today. I don't mean to cast aspersions, but right. it, it, it was a different paper back then. And, you know, you would find somebody who was writing great things and you would read everything that they wrote. You would notice a byline and, and stick with it and see what they were doing and, and how it was different and better than what you were doing. And, and uh, so while I can't necessarily remember specific names, there were definitely people that you would latch onto and, and follow. No, that's great. And uh, I think too, just that um, thinking about that era that you're describing to uh, with some of the newspapers, but also in the music industry, kind of that pre uh, World Wide Web, it was also, there was a little bit of a, a hunt and a reward, like when you found a, a band that you liked or you found a writer that you liked. And then how am I going to get more of this, right? Where, where now at least the hunt part is pretty easy as far yeah, as it's, a Google search. So there's, there's not the same reward in my opinion, but I'm kind of just, yeah, kind of curious when you'd find a writer that you, and then how do you stick with them? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, because we're all sheltering in place and trying yeah. to find new ways to entertain ourselves in our homes, I had gone through pretty early in this and I've got much to my wife's chagrin boxes full of old music magazines in our basement that I have held on to. She's always asked me why. And well, it's because if we ever get locked down in a pandemic, I need something new to read. And so there we go. Um, but, you know, I've gone through and found all these old zines that I would, you know, pick up from the little wire rack on the wall at Record Collector um, here in Iowa City, the, you know, the little record store. Yeah. And, you know, it's, these are things, I did one of these for a while when I was younger. It's, you know, you do two or three issues before you flamed out and realized that you were losing far, far more money than you were ever going to make. But um, that was back when, if you wanted to hear about a band or an artist, that's where you went. You had to wait for somebody to get interested enough in them to write about them. And you would grab everything you could find about an act that you really liked because that, you know, there was no internet. The, these weren't the kinds of bands that were being played on the radio or certainly weren't, you know, on MTV. So if you somehow lucked into picking up a slab of vinyl because the guy at the record store told you he thought he would like it that you would like it based on what you bought before there was very little way to find out information about these bands and that mystery i think is uh, something that we uh that we lack these days you know being able to learn everything about anyone instantly takes away a lot of the intrigue that made us get so into things back then yeah, and that was, uh, and I'm sh I'm sure it's the case in in many cities with a with a good rec record store. But you know, the record collector was one of those places where you could go, and it was almost a form of social curation, right? That I, I just remember record collector as a very supportive, helping environment. Like, oh, if you like this, you should check this out, and that really support again supporting that hunt where it wasn't just you know searching or or iTunes recommendation engine serving something up for me. Oh yeah, the the record store clerk used to be one of the most important 
people in, in your life if you were of that uh, sort of persuasion that that was something that uh, was super important to you. And it certainly was to me. You know, some of my good friends I still hang out with today are people that I either met through the, the record collector or knew there. And I know there are a lot of people that can say that same thing. And I'm so glad that it's still going. You know, the yep. the new owners are, are doing a great job with that as well. It's it's uh, great to have that in the community. It sure is. Uh, Want to dig back into the uh, just the notion of the city literature and with UNESCO. Uh, if you can tell me a little bit about. Uh, the longer form of this question or where, where this is going is just when Iowa city is at its best, what is it doing? But I wanted to focus first on, on the literature portion. So when you're, when you're out talking to, uh, you know, other, other folks about Iowa or Iowa city, uh, what is it that you tell them and, and what might they find surprising about Iowa city? You know, uh, the thing about Iowa city um, and when I talk with people in other cities of literature uh, first of all the the people in the literary communities and those other cities around the world they are familiar with iowa city um so sometimes it can feel like we're in this small town in the middle of iowa in the middle of the country and can be easily ignored or overlooked but people who care about literature know iowa city they know the people who are here doing the work um and to me some of my colleagues in other cities might beg to differ, but you know, I would say we certainly have as vibrant, as current, and as creative a literary community as any in the world. Because while a lot of the other cities of literature have much older writers or works of literature or just cultures that they hang their hat on, you know, I think of Dublin with James Joyce or Reykjavik with the uh, the Icelandic sagas or, you know, just Barcelona going all the way back to Cervantes. Iowa City's literary heritage is recent. You know, the, the Writers' Workshop was founded about 80 years ago. And there were some writing clubs and things before that. You know, I delved into some of the history of the, of the writing community in Iowa City. You know, at best, our writing culture as we know it today is a century old. And so everything is still very recent. Everything is still very current. And the nature of, of the way people come through our community, the transit nature means that there's always someone new coming through. There's always something new being created. and while we certainly have our institutions and things that we look on that were wonderful way back when and, and might still be around today, it's that vibrancy that I think keeps us at the forefront. It, it's that constant change and, and churn that makes us unique and makes it so exciting to be here. You know, there, there's always a new cohort of writers who are coming into this town every fall who we've never seen before we've probably not read much of any of their work and by the time they're done or five years out from here hundreds of thousands if not millions of people are familiar with their work and, and knowing what role Iowa City plays the kind of crucible that we uh, are here 
it just keeps it very exciting and, and very uh, present. What do you, what do you think either from from your research, uh, on, you know, leading up to a hundred years ago, or even modern elements? What is it that makes Iowa City special? Well, and I know you get at this, you know, that whole notion of the Iowa idea, but it really stems from that. It became this self fulfilling prophecy. You, you know, people came to Iowa City because they wanted to improve their craft. And before that, and in other locations, people came to a university setting to learn how to study work from other people that had already been created. They were going to learn how to be an English professor and evaluate and pass on the knowledge of work that had already been done. And in the 1920s, it was decided that artists should come to Iowa City to improve their own work, to work on their own craft. And so you had these young writers who wanted to become better writers. They didn't want to become teachers. They didn't want to learn to analyze or, or write dissertations about work. They wanted to put their own creativity on paper. So they came to Iowa City. And then people who wanted to teach them came to Iowa City. And then it's just this virtuous circle where a great writer comes out of Iowa City, publishes a great book, and then people look and say, how did that happen? Oh, that person went to Iowa. I should go to Iowa because I want that to happen to me. And here, decades later, that continues to happen. And so you, we created this small town in the middle of nowhere that was this magnet for some of the most creative people in the country. And, and later, thanks to Paul Engel and, and later Chris Merrill and folks like that, you know, the world having these creative people come. And it wasn't just in writing, obviously, and it was in the visual arts and music and theater and, and uh, printmaking and bookmaking, all of these things. And so you have this community that's suddenly this cultural oasis and, and people are clamoring to get here to take part in that. And that has continued. There's obviously a lot more competition out there these days as everyone has decided to kind of take on that Iowa model and, and use it for setting up workshops and such. But uh, it, it gave us such a firm foundation. And, and, you know, then people who weren't involved with the arts, but who just wanted to experience the arts could come to Iowa City. I mean, I, I'm certainly one of those folks. While I came here to study writing, I stayed because I wanted to be around all of these creative people and, and take part in the wonderful things they were creating. Yeah, and even in like some of the modern things that are going on, the work that you're doing and as a city of literature, but thinking about uh, the kind of the revival of the, the Anglert Theater and, um, you know, Mission Creek, what I find fascinating about that, right? It's celebrating music and literature together um, and just love, love the curation that goes on there as well. So I, I still feel like, yeah, it's a very vibrant community and, and at so many levels, there's things going on. And, and sometimes I wonder if there's, if one of the challenges isn't just all these resources almost being spread thin, if that makes sense. Yeah, that can be a challenge to be sure, because, you know, people who support the arts usually don't just support one aspect of the arts uh, from the, 
the amount that they donate to the amount of time that they have to give to the amount of money they have to spend on tickets or, you know, just any of those right. things. And so, I mean, it's a good problem to have. And I think that our community, particularly in the, the last decade plus, probably post 2008 flood and, and beyond has started to see institutions collaborate more to communicate more and find ways around some of those challenges so that, um, rather than competing, we, we truly are uh, collaborating and, and uh, cooperating. And that's been uh, wonderful to see. Some of those things have been outgrowths of, of rather uh, detrimental things that are going on in the community. I mean, this current situation included, but I think the, uh, the upshot is that ultimately the, the institutions will emerge uh, stronger and, and in better, uh, better shape than they were when they went into it. Thank you. Uh, a question I have for you, this one, this one I'm stealing from uh, Austin Cleon, uh, an artist. I'm not, he has a book called steal like an artist. And uh, he, on the top of topic of advice, he always says, when you're giving advice, you're actually just talking to your younger self. But if you had, <laughs> if you had advice to, uh, to uh, journalists or writers, what advice would you give them? Well, I've actually given this advice a lot because I've taught to a lot of journalism courses in my time, and it's really to get out and try to experience as much of their community as they possibly can and to talk to as many people as they can because what you know and what you have experienced, as that exponentially grows, you exponentially gain skills in storytelling and in reporting and all of those things that can just help you to provide more context, to be able to provide more detail in what you're doing. And, you know, I mean, that goes across pretty much anything you do, but uh, you know, I think people tend to find a, a specialty or a, an area of expertise and they silo themselves and, I think that's to their detriment. You know, at a certain point, obviously, you can get to that and, and feel that taking a deeper dive in one area uh, is for you, and, and that can make some sense. But certainly early on, uh, just getting out and experiencing as much as you possibly can uh, is only going to help. You know, I feel like I didn't really start to fully experience Iowa City until after I'd left the university and had more responsibilities such that it was more difficult for me to get out and do those things. Like if I'd taken more full advantage of the opportunities I had when I was in college, I, I think it would have been better for me, but at least I was able to, to finally wake up and, and get out and do that. Thanks. A question for you on, uh, we were talking about the Iowa idea and improving craft and, and striving for mastery. Some, I'm curious on some of your thoughts on mastery, even in your own practice or approach or, or lessons that you've learned from studying others, but any, uh, anything that you do like to get in a rut or anything, if you walk me through like your approach to improving your own craft. Hmm. Well, I mean, really for me, it's just practice and, and trial and error. And, and again, reaching out to people who, are where you want to get to and, and trying to figure out how they got there and how you can 
adapt those lessons to what you're doing. Um, you know, you, you, you don't get someplace without putting in the work, but there's fumbling your way through on your own and there's learning from other people who have gotten there first. And, you know, it's like what I tell my kids, it's like they're obviously smarter than me given every conversation we have, but, uh, occasionally I have experienced something that they are going into and figuring out what my thoughts are on the matter might help. And it's definitely advice that I try to follow for myself as well. You know, whatever it is I'm picking up, if it's, you know, doing writing, if it's, you know, trying to fumble my way through making music or doing whatever. Um, if, if there's somebody I know who has experience that I think could help me, to accomplish what I want to accomplish, reaching out to them and, and talking to them can help. And, you know, that's really, when you think like the Iowa Writers Workshop model, it's people, it's, it's largely self-driven. People bring their stories in and they have other people read them and offer advice and suggestions. And ultimately the, the writer of the story can take or leave whatever advice they want, but they are putting themselves out there and they are getting advice both from their instructors who are you know, all published and, and, and well-respected writers professionally and, and, and also getting that from peers who have differing levels of experience and, and figuring out what to take on board and, and what to maybe leave behind. And, and that itself is a, a learning process because you don't always make the right decisions there. So it's just being open to advice knowing which to take and, and which to ignore and and constantly moving forward and challenging yourself i know i joke with uh one of my friends that uh when we're when we're in more of a, a teacher role but looking back that uh when things work out you don't learn that much it's usually from the errors right and uh the times that things didn't work out and then you know sticking with it to figure out how to make something work we've found to be more more powerful learning experiences, but it's, it's hard because, uh, no, I don't think anybody wants to fail. (laughs) So, but, uh, trying to, trying to help, uh, you know, younger students know that that's actually part of the process. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's sometimes better to fail a couple of times before you get there, because as you say, then you can figure out what changes you made that suddenly worked. If it just works the first time out, you're not always sure what element of that is really why it worked. And that can be just as bad as, as failing the first couple of times. So what's uh, we, we talked briefly about uh, October. So like, you know, hoping that uh, the, the festival will, will take place in person, but uh, can you tell me what's up next too for uh, uh, UNESCO related activities in Iowa city? Well, by the time you uh, get uh, get this out to where folks can hear it, we will have announced some new programming and uh, the cancellation of some other programs. Uh, I guess I'll start with the bad news first. We have decided that we're going to cancel our Music IC Festival. Okay. Uh, that was planned for the middle of June, but uh, you know, with everything else around it on the calendar uh, being canceled and, and the writing on the wall with the way things are going with the virus in our state, it just seemed like that was the only prudent decision to make. And yeah, so, tough. yeah. Um, and so that again was supposed to be the um, 18th through the 20th of June. Uh, we are working on some 
online programming. So we're hoping to still kind of keep that brand out in front of folks and offer them some things that they can enjoy uh, during those days when they would normally be coming to our festival. Uh, and the details of those will hopefully be uh, solidified very soon. We'll get word out about that. Uh, but we are looking at other opportunities uh, and we have just um, confirmed that we're going to be hosting an author uh, on May 12th. Um, and it's actually someone that we've been trying to work with and then it just wasn't going to work in his schedule to travel to Iowa. And lo and behold, when you take the travel element out of there, we can make things work. So um, the gentleman's name is Jesse Wegman. He's a member of the New York Times editorial board and he has a book called uh, Let the People Pick the Presidents. And it's about the electoral college and in this case, his uh, idea that we should probably abolish that. But it's a really interesting look at the history of the electoral college and electoral uh, politics at the presidential level in our country. And uh, we think given all that's gone on with the past few elections, with our own caucuses, with the right. pending election, that there's going to be a lot of interest in, in hearing from him. And so we're working out the uh, technical logistics of that to figure out how we can get as many people uh, watching him on a computer screen as we can. But again, we'll have that on uh, May 12th. And that's part of a series we do called Lit Talks, which are occasional events that uh, deal more with political and social engagement. Uh, the first of these that we did was, uh, excuse me, of March of 20. 19 when we brought Pete Buttigieg to Iowa City for the first time. You may have heard of him. Um, yep. <laughs> he's had quite a, a whirlwind uh, 13 months since that appearance. Um, but uh, so, you know, again, we're just looking for ways that we can engage with people. We know there's an awful lot of stuff online and, and people have a lot to choose from, but we want to make sure that we're engaging people at a local level and reminding them of what we all may be missing so that when we can get back to normal, um, we are as appreciative of that as we can be. That's great. And if people want to find out more about uh, City of Literature, direct them to the visit, website? Yeah, they should visit, uh, it's just iowacityofliterature.org. Uh, that's our main hub. All of our uh, main events, the Music I See, One Book, Two Book, and um, the Iowa City Book Festival have their own websites all of them are just the name of the festival.org uh, we're on facebook and twitter and instagram so there are any number of ways to check in with us and find out about what we're doing awesome john i want to thank you so much for taking the time to to meet with me today i really appreciate your your perspective uh both both as a person and then also in a leadership role for uh, the city of literature well thank you it's been a pleasure talking all right. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we look forward to uh, good things uh, from you both online and in person when we can get back out. That sounds good. Thanks, Ben. You take care. You too.